Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Peter Schiff Show. I hope everybody enjoyed their elongated 4th of July holiday weekend. We had some beautiful weather here in New England. And, you know, the 4th of July, I always have a lot of mixed emotions on that holiday. I mean, it is a great American holiday. But, you know, it fills me with joy and sadness at the same time because I really like commemorating what America was and the whole idea of what independence stood for and what made America different. Because being an American was really different than being a German or being French or being Italian. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with living in any of those countries. And I, you know, I don't blame people for being patriotic about those countries. But being an American was very different because all these other countries throughout the world, you know, they all basically they they were ruled by kings and they gradually were able to get some of their rights right from the crown. The crown surrendered some rights to the subjects. And and so everything basically flowed from from the top up. But America was a different story. I mean, once we declared our independence, right? And you know, interestingly enough, I you know I just read a uh, a survey that said only I think only seventy five percent of the adults who were surveyed knew from which country America won its independence, and uh, I I think even a smaller percentage, I think seventy percent or uh, one third rather, didn't know what year. America won that independence from. You know, I wonder if the people who didn't know the year that America won its independence from Great Britain, I wonder if they also could name uh, the basketball team from Philadelphia or if they even could make the connection. But let me just get back on topic. So when we declared and won independence in 1776 or declared it and won it eventually, America we basically created our government. We, the people, had all the power, and we surrendered some of our power 
to form a limited government. So the government exists because it was a creation of the people. And the people had unlimited power or ultimate power that they ceded to a government. So the opposite of what happened in most of the world, where you have a big government getting smaller as it gradually gives up some power to the people, here you have the people having all the power and then ceding or giving up a small amount of that power to a government. And and this was unique. And being an American really was different from being a citizen of any other country. I mean, we were really free people, individual, sovereign. uh, And as a result of this uniquely American way of life, right, this limited government, this, this, the rugged individual, this is the reason that America prospered. This is the reason that we created the wealthiest country in the history of the world. And so I like to celebrate that, the anniversary of the beginning of this experiment in freedom and limited government. But it saddens me to know that that experiment failed, that we no longer have what the founding fathers uh, established. Remember the famous quote from uh, Benjamin Franklin, what have you given us, Mr. Franklin? A republic, if you can keep it. Well, we now know that we couldn't keep it, and we have degenerated. We have become what the founding fathers feared most is a democracy. And if you think democracy is so great, look at what's going on in South Africa. I just posted something on my Facebook page about the South African government looking to nationalize uh, property and redistribute it to the voters, right? Vote for me and I'll steal for you. That's democracy. Democracy is doing more damage to South Africa than apartheid. And it is a very dangerous form of government. And unfortunately, that's what we have today in America. And so, you know, it isn't different anymore. I mean, we are not uh, different from the Germans or the British or the Italians or the French. Unfortunately, we're all the same, right? You know, now, you know, being American doesn't doesn't mean what it used to mean. And so that that's what makes me sad. At the same time, I still like to enjoy uh, celebrating that unique American holiday. And of course, you know, other countries, they have their own uh, Independence Day or their own national day that they celebrate. So, And what I like about those holidays is it's not like it's something that everybody is celebrating. Christmas is being celebrated all over the world, right? But when you have a holiday like the 4th of July or like Thanksgiving, that is an American holiday that Americans are celebrating on their own because they're Americans, it really does make you feel uh, patriotic. I just wish I could have celebrated these holidays 100 years ago when they actually meant something. You know, not that I would trade the technology we have today for the technology that existed 100 years ago. Clearly, uh, science uh, has produced a lot of advancements over the over the century, and I'm I'm glad for that. But of course, had it not been for government, had the economy been freer, imagine you know how much more we would have produced in these last hundred years if we had the same amount of government we had a hundred years ago, consistently throughout the last century. Imagine the advancements that would have taken place. I mean, we would have a standard of living far higher than what we have today had the government not slowed down the pace of innovation to the extent that it did. I mean, the, the fact that we've been able to achieve so much with all these government-created roadblocks, you know, you, you can, you know, wonder your mind just postulating what could have happened had we not had all the government. I mean, look at the advancements that took place during the period of the Industrial Revolution. Look at how the U.S. 
was transformed in the first half of the 20th century, I think the transformation would have even been greater had we maintained that low level of government that we began uh, the 19th century with, had we you know, had that same amount of government throughout the entirety of the 20th century and the 21st century, uh, we would be reaping the benefits. You know, one of the problems of democracy, the minimum wage, a lot of uh, cities boosted the minimum wage uh, starting uh, this week. I think a lot of these cities are on fiscal years. And so there were a number of them, including Los Angeles, that had a big bump in their minimum wage. I think it's up to, what, 12 bucks an hour. They're on their way to 15. But it was a big jump in, uh, you know, over the most recent minimum wage. And of course, you've got all these liberals who are so excited about this, but this is going to take its toll. You know, you have a lot of these cities increasing the minimum wage. This is going to do more damage. I mentioned on this podcast the survey as if we even need a survey. You know, it's like trying to do a survey to prove two and two equals four. You know, I don't need a mathematical survey to understand what is intuitively obviously the case. But they did a study in Seattle to show that increase in minimum wage actually backfired and caused workers, low-skilled workers, to earn less money, not more money, uh, because their employers cut back on the number of hours they worked. And therefore, even though they were paid more money for the hours they worked, they were employed for fewer hours. So the net effect was they actually earned less money as a result of the increase in the minimum wage. And this is going to take an increasingly higher toll on workers and local economies as these minimum wage increases continue to go into effect and they continue to ratchet higher because, you know, sometimes it does take employers time to adjust to the higher cost of unskilled labor. It takes them longer uh, to substitute capital for labor. So the effects are going to build over time. And, you know, even if you take into consideration, right, the, 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 the best outcome as far as the liberal is concerned is that the employer simply pays his workers more money and, um, and does not raise prices. So all of the increase in pay that the workers get comes at the expense of a lower profit for the employer, right? It's just a transfer of wealth from the employer of labor to the wage earner, right? But even if that does happen, there's no net increase in income. It's just been redistributed. So communities don't have any higher income. The people collectively aren't earning any more money. You just have the boss who's earning less and the workers who are earning more. But how long is that going to be the case? Because it is the boss that determines how many people he hires and for how many hours they work. And so once you present an employer with a new dynamic of wages, uh, he is going to then decide how much labor he wants to employ to try to maximize the amount of income that that he gets. And he will now think about, well, you know, do I raise prices to my consumers, my customers? But then if I raise prices, I'm going to lose some customers. So how do I balance that uh, with my workers? Or do I want to hire fewer people and just do more work myself? Do I want to put in more hours on my own? Or do I want to, you know, there are all sorts of decisions that are made. Once the government changes the dynamic, once you put this artificial barrier in to raise the cost of labor, now you create a whole different uh, decision matrix for the employers of labor, for the users of capital to now reassess the dynamic. But in the end, they are always going to choose some combination of an increase in prices 
and a decrease in the use of labor. So either the customers pay more or the workers get less, but that is ultimately going to be the result of any minimum wage hike. And since the minimum wage hike just distorts the free market from finding the optimal level of wages and prices in an economy, once you have a minimum wage, the new equilibrium that results is going to be suboptimal. So no matter what, you are going to do damage to the economy. Every time the government sets an artificial price, the economy is going to have a less than optimal outcome as far as the efficient allocations of resources. So every time you do this, you are going to hurt the economy. The problem is the people that will get hurt the most from the increase in the minimum wage are the very people that are supposed to benefit, which is the low-skill laborer who is uh, looking to get a job and who is supposedly going to benefit by the increase in the minimum wage. But those are the specific people who hurt, who suffer. In fact, I you know I put this article up on my Facebook page because it said that businesses had better brace for the impact of an increase in minimum wage. And my response was, it's not the businesses who need to brace, or not just the businesses, it's the workers who need to brace for a higher minimum wage because they are the ones who are going to be impacted the most because, A, they may lose their jobs completely because of the increase in minimum wage, or they will have their hours scaled back. So their incomes will fall as a result of a higher minimum wage. So they had better brace for that because for a lot of people, this is going to be a huge problem when all of a sudden, instead of the raise, they get a pink slip. So, you know, the markets were closed yesterday for the uh, 4th of July holiday, but we did trade on Monday and we had a truncated trading session, one of only two uh, this year. I think the other one is uh, the Friday of Thanksgiving week. The markets were only open for a half day, but during that half day, they sure clobbered the price of gold. I think gold was down about, I think, 18 bucks. So it really started the, uh, the half, the quarter and the second half on a weak note. Although, again, gold stocks were down, but they weren't really down that much considering that gold was down 18 bucks. So, you know, I think as I've been mentioning on this podcast, these gold stocks have been trading rather well, which is in contrast to how weak they were trading uh, for many, many months before I noticed this change in, uh, in the momentum or the relative strength between gold miners and gold. Now, gold did bounce back a little bit today, maybe up, I don't know, five or six bucks, but just a small portion of what it uh, what it lost on on Monday. But I mean, the gold stocks gained back about a third of what they of what they lost. So again, uh, gaining more on the small upside on a relative basis than what they lost on a big down day. There was no news really that came out on Monday that, that I think would have nev- negatively impacted the price of gold. Today, I think the FOMC minutes, to me, were somewhat bullish for the price of gold, yet the price of gold really didn't catch much of a bid as a result of these minutes. Also, you know, we got some weak economic data that came out earlier today. We got factory orders, and they were expecting a negative number, and they got it. They just got a bigger negative number than they thought. They were looking for down 0.5. And they got down 0.8. Then the month of May, minus 0.2 was revised to minus 0.3. So last month's was a bigger decline than we were originally told. And then the month of May, that was uh, April and then May. And then May's number uh, was a bigger drop from a lower number. And now we've got, you know, back-to-back declines in factory orders. I mean, that does not sound like a vibrant economy. Yet, despite the fact that we're getting all this weak 
economic data, the, uh, the Federal Reserve minutes do not reflect any concerns on the part of FOMC members about the weakening economy. In fact, the only thing that seems to be of concern to the Federal Reserve is that consumer prices are still not rising fast enough. They're still worried that prices will not be rising by 2% per year. Of course, 2% the way the government measures it, not 2% the way we actually feel it, the way we actually pay, because it's already higher than that. But you know, 2% based on the way the government calculates the increases by using uh, the CPI. But the Fed is worried that we're not going to get as much you know, inflation, the way they measure it, uh, as, as they want. Now, why this even would bother you, right? There is no reason of all the things that the Fed could be worried about and all the things that could go wrong, why should they worry that prices won't rise by 2%? I mean, what if they only rise by 1.5%? I mean, what is the problem? I mean, if prices going up by 2% a year are good, if they only go up by 1.5% a year, why is that so horrible? I mean, it's, I mean, in the short term, it's not even that much of a difference. So why worry? Why spend so much time worrying whether prices are going to rise by 2% or only 1.5%? Right? I mean, it, it seems to me that there are a lot bigger things that the Federal Reserve should be worried about uh, than that. And of course, where did this 2% number come from? Because the Fed does not have a mandate for 2% inflation. They have a mandate for price stability. That's it. That's their mandate. Stable prices. Well, 2% a year up is not stable. Stable prices would be up 2% one year, down 2% the next, up 1%, down 1%. Stable would mean unchanged, right? That they that they remain relatively flat. You know, if prices go up by 2% every year, that means they double every 20 years. I mean, that's a big move. If prices double in 20 years... That's a big move. Think about it. The average man, I guess, your life expectancy is about 80 years, right? That's the, the lifespan of a typical man, I guess, is 80 years, which means over an 80-year time period, if you have 2% inflation every year, prices are going to double every 20 years. They're going to double four times during your lifetime. So that means that something that costs a dollar when you're born is going to cost $16 when you die. Now, that sound like stable prices over your lifetime. If something costs a dollar and now it costs 16, or maybe instead of costing um, $100, it costs $1,600. I mean, these are big increases. That hardly sounds like stability when it comes to prices. So, you know, why is the Fed going crazy? Why are they so concerned that we're not going to get 2% inflation if their mandate is actually price stability. And again, all this is because the Fed decided that it wants a 2% inflation. And why does it want 2% inflation? Not because it's good economics, but because A, they want to have room to cut rates because they think cutting rates in a recession is what stimulates the economy. And they think they need a certain amount of inflation to be able to create the type of reduction in interest rates that they want when they want to slash interest rates, but they also want to try to cover up mistakes that politicians make, like the minimum wage, right? They want inflation to reduce wages, to undo some of the, the effects of a of a increase in the minimum wage. They also want to sustain the very asset bubbles that they've inflated in, in stocks and real estate, and they know that inflation is a way to do that. They also want to bail out the debtors. 
you know, and ironically, the reason that there's so much debt is because the Fed has made debt so inexpensive. The reason the government, the federal government doesn't balance the budget is because the Federal Reserve makes it so much easier for the federal government not to do that, to run deficits, whether it's outright monetizing them by doing a quantitative easing program or just keeping interest rates so low that it makes it easier for the government to you know, go into debt and then service that debt. But now because so many people have so much debt, the Federal Reserve needs to help eradicate that debt by wiping it out through inflation. So there's all sorts of reasons that the Federal Reserve wants inflation and may be worried if inflation isn't high enough. But the fact that, you know, low inflation would be hurtful to the economy, that's not the reason. The economy is not going to suffer if consumer prices don't go up. In fact, the economy will prosper even more uh, if consumer prices go down because that is, in effect, a, a, a wage increase for everybody. When prices go down, people can buy more stuff. And in fact, prices would be going down if it weren't for the government's uh, efforts to prevent that from happening. And, you know, just because prices are up, let's say prices are up 2% one year, but had the government not created inflation, they would have been down 5%. That means the inflation rate is 7% because prices didn't just go up by 2%. They didn't go down by 5 So the purchasing power that you lost as a result of inflation is you lost the fact that you would have got a 5% discount had there been no inflation. So you didn't get that savings. And then you had to pay 2% more on top. So the real amount of lost purchasing power is 7%, not not 2%. So the real measure of inflation is not simply how much prices went up, but how much they didn't go down because the government created all this money that prevented the consumer from reaping the benefit of lower prices. But of course, you know, if you look into these FOMC minutes, they had some other concerns that shouldn't be. One of the things that they were concerned about was that unemployment could undershoot to the downside, that the unemployment rate could be even lower than they think it's going to be. And there they're worried that if unemployment stays lower than we think, that somehow that could ultimately mean inflation will be higher than we think eventually, even though right now we're worried that inflation may not be high enough if the unemployment rate stays low and it is lower than we think, then, oh, all of a sudden inflation could be too high because these guys believe that inflation is a byproduct of employment rather than their own monetary policy. And then they're worried that they might have to raise rates too quickly if inflation gets out of hand because unemployment is too low. What they really should be worrying about is unemployment picking up because unemployment right now is unsustainably low and is much more likely to have a big increase from where we are then a big decrease, especially with all these you know, minimum wage hikes kicking in that, that I just mentioned. So they're worried about things that they shouldn't be worried about. They, they shouldn't be worried about unemployment going too low because it's probably going to go up. They shouldn't be worried about there not being enough inflation. They shouldn't be worried about prices not rising fast enough because, A, that's nothing to worry about. But, B, prices are going to rise even faster. I mean, even look, look, I was reading another interview with Alan Greenspan, or I think I watched it. I think he was on, on uh, one of the television shows. And he's still talking stagflation. He said that's all he sees. He sees a very, very weak economy, and he sees inflation continue to rise. Yet there's no worries about stagflation at all at the Fed. They're, I mean, that, that doesn't come up at all. So the only guy worrying about stagflation is Alan Greenspan. But, you know, he used to be the chairman of the Fed. So, I mean, who should we pay attention to? Right. I mean, is Alan Greenspan right? The guy that used to chair the FOMC. We used to think he was the maestro. 
right? So why are people looking at what the people on the Fed are saying now and say, oh, we, you know, this is gospel, yet ignoring what Alan Greenspan is saying, because when he was there, what he said was gospel too. So why are they more right than Greenspan? I mean, if anything, I would trust what Greenspan is saying now uh, as an outsider, because I know that whenever you're a member of the Fed, according to Ben Bernanke, you're on the team, right? You're on the administration's team. You're there for spin. You're there to say good things. You're near to talk up the economy. So once you're out, once you're no longer there, you're more likely to express more of an honest opinion. So I would I would certainly take anything from Janet Yellen or her cohorts uh, with a grain of salt, but I would pay a little bit more attention to what Alan Greenspan is saying now, now that he is uh, no longer in the hot seat and now that he can speak a little bit more candidly. Now, he, he refuses to criticize any of the current members of the FOMC, including, of course, Janet Yellen, but he does you know, talk about what he thinks is going to happen in the economy. And I think that forecast should carry a lot more weight for people who who care about central bankers, right? Because just because he's retired, I mean, if you think these guys are so smart, well, okay, then Greenspan is just as smart now as he was when he was the chairman of the Federal Reserve. So pay attention to what he has to say. But if, if you look at these FOMC minutes, nobody is worried about the weakening in the economy. They're not worried about stagflation. Now, they did, there were some governors that are worried that maybe... We could be developing some kind of excess valuations in the market. Maybe there could be some complacency. So they acknowledge that maybe this could be a potential problem. But of course, they are you know, downplaying the fact that it already is a huge problem. It's not about the fact that we may develop a bubble in the future if rates stay low. We already have developed a massive bubble and the rate hikes are going to prick it, you know, and if the rate hikes don't, something else will. So it's talking about, you know, worrying about, um, you know, you know, what if, you know, we open the door and one of these horses gets out of the barn, right? Meanwhile, they haven't even noticed that all the horses left the barn years ago because the doors were wide open. In fact, they cut the doors off. There were no doors. And, and now they're, you know, they're worried again. They're worried about something that it's too late to worry about. I mean, if the Fed was worried about asset bubbles, about stock prices or real estate prices being too high, they never should have done quantitative easing. In fact, when the Federal Reserve did quantitative easing, that was the specific goal. That was the stated and intended goal of the program was to elevate asset prices. So, you know, it was by design. And obviously, if the Fed's policy was to artificially prop up real estate prices and stock prices, well, then ultimately, when you try to unwind that policy you're going to reverse that process. And now they're talking about the complete unwinding because they're not only talking about continuing with the rate hikes, but they're talking about quantitative tightening. They want to start shrinking the balance sheet. They they want to start reversing the process of printing money and buying bonds. They want to sell bonds and destroy the money they printed. They want to shrink the money supply and dump uh, treasuries onto the market. They want to force up interest rates. They want to force down bond prices. And obviously... The reverse effect is going to be there than when they were doing the opposite. So they were printing money and buying bonds and pushing asset prices up. If they're destroying money and selling bonds, they're going to be pushing asset prices down. So it's too late to be worried about that. But apparently, you know, these minutes, everything is fine. Nothing really to worry about. The only thing to worry about is that prices may not be rising fast enough. That's it. Of course, the bigger economic data points are going to come out on Friday. We're going to get the non-farm payroll report. Remember, the last time we got a report, uh, the um, 
May report was only 138,000 jobs. So people are looking for an improvement uh, for June. So this could be a big number. This could be a market moving number. We do have some other numbers. You know, we get the ADP number that comes out tomorrow. We'd normally have come out today, but because the markets were closed on Tuesday, uh, that got pushed to tomorrow. So we'll get the uh, private sector ADP report on Thursday. Also get international trade on Thursday, which to me is important because it all it, it certainly uh, weighs down GDP when we have these big trade deficits. But the media generally uh, pays little attention to that number. They will they will be looking much more at the employment numbers, the ADP report Thursday, and of course the big granddaddy jobs report. Expect Donald Trump, of course, to take credit uh, for any good numbers which is a dangerous game to play because eventually these good numbers are going to become bad numbers and he's going to own those too.